Jesus loves the little babies. A new, fully illustrated children's book teaching God's heart for preborn children by Sarah Fan. Now available at www.godloveswomen.com. That is www.godloveswomen.com. O Sovereign Lord, our Father, you have made your covenant with your servant David. You promised David that he would never lack a descendant, someone of the fruit of his body, to sit upon his throne in Jerusalem. And you also made your covenant with Aaron, the brother of your holy servant Moses, that he would never lack a son to inherit that holy priesthood that you gave him. And, O Lord, you made your holy covenant with Abraham, your faithful servant, and promised him that his children would be as as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sands on the seashore. And then... At the proper appointed time, you sent forth your only begotten Son, Jesus Christ, as the Son of David, and as the High Priest over your heavenly temple in the order of Melchizedek. And you promised your Son, Jesus, that his descendants would be a kingly line and a priestly line so that his offspring would be kings and priests to serve you in your eternal kingdom and they would be more than the stars in the sky and more than the sands on the seashore and all because of Christ his kingship and his perfect holy priesthood the King of kings, the high priest over all high priests. Oh, thank you for this great mystery revealed, the glory of your Son, Jesus. But, oh Lord, as your servants who who worship, who bow down and worship at the feet of the Lord Jesus, We face many threats and the snares of death entangle us. And there are many times when we carry in our bodies the death of the Lord Jesus so that the life of the Lord Jesus may be manifested in us. But, O Lord, we believe and therefore we speak. 
We believe your word when you have said, Precious in your sight is the death of your saints. O Lord, as death is manifested in us, we pray that you would make it life to those who are being saved. And all for the glory of Jesus. And all for your eternal glory, O Father. We pray in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. The Gospel according to Luke, chapter 22, verses 7 through 13. This is the word of the Lord. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat. So they said to him, Where do you want us to prepare? And he said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large, furnished, upper room. There make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Thus far the reading of God's Holy Word. God has appointed a holy supper for His people who fear Him. The Passover meal of the Gospel of Jesus Christ is holy. It is a holy supper that must be eaten by all of those who are of the true Israel of God. Luke 22 verse 8 and he said and he sent and he sent Peter and John saying go and prepare the passover for us that we may eat Yet who can eat of the holy passover of the Lord without much trembling For the passover supper in ancient Israel was holy unto the Lord And so anyone who ate of it in a sinful manner was to be cut off from his people, was to be put to death. Exodus 34.25 You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor shall the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover be left until morning. 
And Exodus chapter 12, verse 19, For seven days no leaven shall be found in your houses, since whoever eats what is leavened, that same person shall be cut off. Put to death from the congregation of Israel, whether he is a stranger or a native in the land. What then should be said of the Holy Supper of the Gospel? If the ancient feast of Passover, which now has been fulfilled in the Gospel of Jesus Christ, was so holy that a man could be put to death for partaking of it in a sinful manner, what shall we say of the fulfillment of the Passover in the spiritual feast of the Lord's table? For we no longer keep the fleshly Passover feast as the unbelieving Jews do, but we keep the spiritual feast of Christ, our Passover, in in our holy remembrance of His body and His blood at the table of the Eucharist. But that table is most holy. Because the table speaks of the blood of the eternal Son of God, poured out for sinners through the sacrificial offering of His human body, for the Word became flesh and made His tabernacle among us, pierced and torn open on the cross. So it is then a deadly act to sin against the holiness of the table of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 11, 27-30 Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. That is, many have died, have been put to death by the divine jealousy of the Spirit of Christ on account of eating and drinking of the bread and the cup in an unworthy manner. Therefore, the Lord's Supper is both a sign of salvation for the righteous and a sign of judgment for those who love and practice evil. Because the Lord is preparing a supper, a sacrifice for the wicked. But this sacrifice is one of fierce judgment, even of them dying in their own blood. Zephaniah, the prophet Zephaniah, chapter 1, verses 7 through 8. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is at hand. For the Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has invited His guests. And it shall be in the day of the Lord's sacrifice that I will punish the princes and the king's children and all such as are clothed with foreign apparel. And then Zephaniah 1 verse 17, I will bring distress upon men and they shall walk like blind men because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like refuse.
Yet for those of us who abhor our former sins and our former wicked ways and have found Christ as the only feast of the soul, Christ being the only feast of the soul that is worthy of our holy living and our holy dying, such that for us to live is Christ and to die is gain, there is a coming heavenly supper that will be for us a far surpassing consolation for all of the sufferings and persecutions and tribulations that we have endured in this present mortal life for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and for the word of His gospel. Revelation 19 verse 9, Then He, the angel, said to me, the Apostle John, Write, Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And He said to me, These are the true sayings of God. Oh, dear listener, is not the Lord's Supper most holy? And yet, are you approaching it in a holy manner? As you approach the table, are you hiding sin in your life and still craving sin in your heart. If you are, then be warned, as I warn you even now with tearful pleadings, that your continuing to do so without true and urgent repentance shall bring upon you the judgment of death. Or else, dear Christian, you who have been set free from the power of sin by the life-giving Spirit of the Lord, are you still examining yourself before eating of the bread and drinking of the cup? Are you abhorring sin and loving only what is good? Do you, O Christian, handle the bread with fear and take the cup into your hand with trembling? Is the gospel of Christ Jesus holy to you? Does your heart tremble in fear before the remembrance of Christ our Passover slain upon the cross? Does the remembrance of your former sins renew in you the deep sense of dread that you once had when you first saw your sins exposed in all of their sinful filthiness before the all-knowing gaze of the ever-present God? And does the spiritual sight of Christ Jesus, as He suffered on the cross, then release you from the dread of your guilt, but only with a great awe and a holy fear, even as the joy of being released from your sinful guilt brings forth from your eyes tears of thanksgiving unto God for His gracious saving work in you. Dear Church of the Living God, the table of the Lord must be kept holy. Idolatrous teachings must not be tolerated in the churches. The cup of Christ must not be shared with the cup of demons. God's true children must partake of the table with gospel fear.
which is a joyful yet holy fear. And so the sons of light must come forth out of Babylon and be separate from the sons of darkness. We must consecrate ourselves as holy unto the Lord. With holiness unto Christ, written spiritually on our, our, our right hands and our foreheads. Because the whole of our lives must be a consecration unto God so that we are even now consecrating ourselves for the coming everlasting Passover supper, which is the coming wedding feast of the Lamb. For Jesus and His disciples, the time for the Passover supper has arrived. And therefore, preparations must be made. This is a special supper, a holy supper. And so, careful preparations must be made for it. Luke 22, 7-8 Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat. Our Lord Jesus sends two of his disciples to make these preparations for the Passover supper. And whom does he send? The scripture here says that he sends Peter and John. These then are not merely two of his disciples, or not merely two among the twelve, but these are his best two. For our Lord Jesus has chosen three from among the twelve as his best three. These are the most faithful and mighty among the twelve. They surpass all of the others in faith and love towards Him. These are Simon, called Peter, and the two sons of Zebedee, James and John. And of these three, Peter and John seem to be the greatest. King David had 30 men whom he selected as being his best soldiers. And yet over and above the 30, there was an inner circle of three, David's three mighty men, who surpassed even those of the 30. And these three mighty men were the greatest soldiers in all of David's army. 2 Samuel 23 8 through 12, here they are. These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. 2 Samuel 23, 8 through 12. Yoshev Bashevet, the Tachmonite, chief among the captains, or in the Greek Old Testament, chief among the three. He was called Adino the Aesnite because he had killed 800 men 
at one time. After him was Eliezer, the son of Dodai, the Achochite, one of the three mighty men with David. When they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle, and the men of Israel had retreated, he arose and attacked the Philistines until his hand was weary and his hand stuck to the sword. The Lord brought about a great victory that day, and the people returned after him only to plunder. And after him was Shema, the son of Agai, the Harahite. The Philistines had gathered together in a, into a troop where there was a piece of ground full of lentils, so the people fled from the Philistines, but he stationed himself in the middle of the field, defended it, and killed the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. David the king then had his inner three, these three mighty men, mighty in faith, and so noble and valiant in battle. But our Lord Jesus, who is King of kings, also has His three mighty men. These are not men of worldly renown, but rather poor and uneducated fishermen. Yet among the disciples of Jesus, they are mighty beyond all rank and comparison because their faith in Him is exceedingly mighty and their loyal love unto Him is beyond comparison. And this is why He takes the three, Peter, James, and John, with Him into places where no other disciple is allowed to go. Luke 8.51 When He came into the house, He permitted no one to go in except the three, Peter, James, and John, and the father and mother of the girl. And then regarding the place of the glory of the transfiguration, Mark chapter 9, verse 2, Now after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain apart by themselves and He was transfigured before them. And again, this time regarding the hidden fellowship of His sufferings in Gethsemane. Matthew 26, 36-37 Then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane and said to the disciples, Sit here while I go and pray over there. And He took with Him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee. And He began to be sorrowful and deeply distressed. Yet among the inner three, Peter, James, and John, it seems to be Peter and John who are chosen by our Lord Jesus as the greatest two. For these two will become the highest leaders in the earliest church. Acts chapter 4, the book of Acts chapter 4 verse 13. Now Peter and John... Now when they, the Jews who were commanding them not to speak any longer in the name of the Lord Jesus, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized that they had been with Jesus. And Acts chapter 8 verse 14 Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent 
Peter and John. They sent Peter and John to them. Why then does the Lord send Peter and John ahead of them into Jerusalem to make preparations for the Passover supper? Is this not an act of sending His best two spiritual soldiers? And so His mightiest two men for this special assignment. But then what does that say about the importance of this task? Must it not be of utmost importance? The Lord is about to have His last supper. Preparations must be made for it. And the holy importance of this supper, including all that it will mean for the preaching of the gospel and the future of the church, demands that it be prepared by the two mightiest of all the disciples. For God always sends His best messengers in order to prepare the way before Him. Isaiah 40, verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. And the book of Malachi, the prophet Malachi, chapter 3, verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to His temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, He is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Who is God's messenger who goes ahead of Him to make supper preparations for Him? Who is His greatest messenger whom He sends to make preparations for the wedding feast of the Lamb? At the first coming of Christ, Is this not John the Baptist? Did not John come to make preparations for the great wedding supper of the Lamb? John 3, 27-30, John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before Him. I have been sent before Him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. Therefore this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. And who then are the two mighty men of God? His two mighty messengers who will make the final preparations for the return of Christ Jesus. Who are the last and greatest mighty men of God who shall make the final preparations for the great supper of the Lamb? Well, this is a great mystery. But it is written in Revelation 11.3 that there will be two. And I will give power to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. O dear church, 
Is this a menial task? When Peter and John are sent ahead of the Lord Jesus into Jerusalem to make preparations for the Passover supper, is this uninteresting work? By no means. Peter and John are chosen because of the greatness of the importance of this task. They are to make the dinner arrangements and to prepare the upper room beforehand. And in the eyes of the world, these are lowly, servile things to do. But in the kingdom of heaven, their task is of the highest order of importance because they are making preparations for the last supper of Christ. So do you then, O Christian, do you know the eternal importance of the seemingly lowly and servile tasks which the Lord has assigned to you? Has He summoned you to do repetitious loads of laundry for your newborn child whom you shall raise through Christian homeschooling in the fear of God and the knowledge of the divine attributes of Christ Jesus? Or else to care for your aging Christian mother whom the Lord is preparing for her entrance into glory? Is your ministry of evangelism despised and rejected by the world even though the Lord has called you to it? Are your prayer meetings to which you have invited many people still sparsely attended in the midst of a highly secularized nation which has grown blasphemously indifferent towards the holiness of God? Or else prayer meetings held in secret in the midst of a communist or Islamic nation since the government seeks to put you into prison for holding merely for holding Christian prayer meetings, even prayer meetings which prepare the way for the second coming of Christ, preparing it through unceasing prayer. You are not, and never shall be, we are not, and never shall be, dear Christians, as mighty in the Spirit as Peter and John. But, you may be one of God's most faithful servants in this generation. And so your tasks of service unto the Bride of Christ, which are done in holiness, in obedience to the commandments of Christ found in the Scriptures, are indeed of great value. Because you are, in your humble love for your Master, making preparations for the great and coming wedding supper of the Lamb. However, our Lord Jesus and His disciples are very poor. They have very little money in their shared money bag. And so they are dependent upon 
the God and Father of the Lord Jesus, to provide the guest room for this special and holy supper. This endears us to the Lord Jesus. This, his poverty endears us to Him. They don't even have the money for the guest room. Luke 22, 9-13. So they said to Him, Where do you want us to prepare? And He said to them, Behold, when you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house which he enters. Then you shall say to the master of the house, The teacher says to you, Where is the guest room? Where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. Then he will show you a large furnished upper room, and there make ready. So they went and found it just as he had said to them, and they prepared the Passover. Do you see the Father's tender provision? for the last supper of His beloved Son. Whether Jesus had been invited beforehand by the master of this particular house in Jerusalem to use His upper room for the Passover meal, or whether the Lord Jesus simply had foreseen this miraculous provision in a vision from His Father, we know not. What is clear is that the Lord Jesus, to to the very end of His earthly pilgrimage, all the way to the end, was very poor. Even so much so that His last supper had to be provided for not in an earthly fashion, but in a supernatural one. Was He not poor? Upon Jesus' birth and infancy, did not Joseph and Mary offer for Mary's purification offering, according to Luke 2.24, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons, which was not the offering of the rich, but rather the offering designated for the materially poor. Again, was not Jesus poor? Such that the provision for His paying of the temple tax had to come supernaturally? And so Peter had to go to the sea, cast in a hook, take the fish that came up first, open its mouth, and find the piece of money inside that would be just the provision needed. Did not Jesus preach in Luke in Luke 6.20, Blessed are you poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And did not His apostles live as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing, as poor, yet as making many rich, and as having nothing, and yet possessing all things? And does not the Apostle Paul say of our Lord Jesus in 2 Corinthians 8.9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sakes He became poor, so that you through His poverty might become rich. So in His poverty, the Father in heaven provides for Him, whom He loves, even for His last supper. What then is the gospel which is preached by every true remembrance of the Lord's table with regard to rich and poor. Is not the gospel a summons only to those who are poor in spirit, who are hungry for God's Word, and yet who have no spiritual coins with which to purchase the food of eternal life? 
Does not the gospel fall on deaf ears whenever it is heard by those who are proud of heart? Is it not to the spiritual pauper, the meek and the humble man only, that the gospel says in Isaiah 55, 1-2, Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for what is not bread? And your wages for what does not satisfy. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. And therefore the Eucharist, which is the Lord's table, is a table of faith. Those who doubt God and refuse to believe His Word are not invited to it. If they grumble against Christ and speak against God in their distresses, saying as the Israelites did in Psalm 78:19, "Can God prepare a table in the wilderness?" then they are not at all welcome at the Lord's table. Instead, their souls, which they seek to satisfy with the lusts of the flesh, the lusts of the eyes and the pride of life, shall be famished everlastingly in hell. For in hell the hunger pains will never end, and the worm shall never die, and the fire shall never be quenched. Yet we who love the Lord Jesus come to His table by faith in Him. We believe that He has provided the meal, the meal of salvation for us in our own state of spiritual hunger and poverty and destitution. And we who trust His provision for the saving meal of the Last Supper, even as that Last Supper signifies the true bread of eternal life found in the flesh and the blood of Christ, which were sacrificed for us on the cross, also trust that He is able to provide for His church during her sojourn through the wilderness of intense persecutions and sufferings in this present evil age. Revelation 12, verse 6, Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God that they should feed her there. 1,260 days. Peter and John find the master of the house and he shows them the upper room that has been furnished for Jesus and his disciples so that they may eat their Passover supper. This is a miraculous provision from God the Father and it is a sign of his infinite love for his only begotten Son. And so the upper room and the furnished table have been provided. But what about the Passover lamb? Is not this whole work centered upon the eating of the Passover lamb? Luke 22, verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb must be killed. So what then is the meaning of this whole event? For what purpose 
has Jesus sent His best two disciples to prepare the Passover? What is the meaning behind it all? And if it is the doctrine of the Passover Lamb, then who, in the end, shall provide the Lamb of Sacrifice? Genesis 22, 7-8, But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And then he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb? For a burnt offering. And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Where then is the Passover lamb which must be killed? Here is the lamb found in the the lament of the prophet Jeremiah, who, who, Jeremiah, was only a type of the coming Christ who is the true lamb of God. Here is the lamb, Jeremiah 11, verse 19. But I was like a docile lamb brought to the slaughter. And I did not know that they had devised schemes against me, saying, Let us destroy the tree with its fruit, and let us cut him off from the land of the living, that his name may be remembered no more. Who is the Lamb? Who is He who is the true Lamb of God, the Passover Lamb slaughtered in order to make atonement for the utterly sinful sins of utterly sinful man? Here is the Lamb. John 1.36 And looking at Jesus as He walked, John said, Behold, the Lamb of God. And again, here is the Lamb. 1 Peter 1.18-19 Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a Lamb without blemish and without spot. And once more, here is the Passover Lamb, slain for our sins. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Therefore purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Christ our Passover was sacrificed for us. Do you then have eyes to see and ears to hear why this supper is so valuable? What is it that makes the Last Supper, which is the Passover meal, so unspeakably important? It is only the presence of the Passover Lamb, Jesus Christ, the Righteous, which makes this supper of infinite importance. For He, the Lamb of God, was flogged with a sharp, skin-flaying Roman whip. And then He was stripped of His clothing and clothed with a mock robe of royalty and crowned with a blood-drawing crown of thorns and spit upon, and blindfolded, and beaten in the face, 
and led forth to be crucified. They pierced His hands and His feet. The Lamb of God was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon Him and by His wounds we are healed. Let all of heaven and earth then sing the worthiness of this Lamb who is slain. For by His blood, He, the Lamb, has redeemed an elect people to God out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and has made them kings and priests to their God and they shall reign on the earth and therefore we shall see the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, victorious, having gained glory for His Father and for His own name by His wounds and by His resurrection from the dead. And also we shall see with Him 144,000, even a countless multitude, having His Father's name written on their foreheads. And the throne of the Lamb shall remain forever in eternal glory. And He who sits upon the throne shall receive all blessing and honor and power forever and ever from His saints who shall adore Him forever and ever. And all of this is sure to come to pass because the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. And because the Father of glory already has made preparations for the great wedding supper of the Lamb. And so we shall sing in perfect oneness with all of the saints of the kingdom, in perfect harmony with all of the angels of heaven. We shall sing the words of Revelation 19.7. Let us be glad and rejoice and give Him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and His wife has made herself ready. And also the words of Revelation 19.9. Blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And our song of joy and gladness in Him shall continue on everlastingly. The feast never ending. The provisions of God eternal. The love of our Bridegroom indestructible. With rejoicing and blessings found in Him forever, world without end. Amen. So it is with great fear and trembling that we close and come before this Holy Eucharist, which is the Lord's table. And as we come, we come consecrating ourselves unto Him, even unto Him who is our Passover Lamb. Before we come, here is the doxology. Praise be to God our Father, who Himself has provided the Passover Lamb. Praise be to our Lord Jesus Christ, who sent His best two disciples ahead of Him in order to make preparations for His last supper.
And praise be to the Holy Spirit, who is sanctifying us and consecrating us unto the Lord, so that we are being made ready for the coming wedding supper of the Lamb. Amen.